Congratulations! You're listening to a Radio 191 FM podcast. Hi, we just wanted to issue a little content warning. We do touch on the abuse and cannibalism accusations against Army Hammer. So if you're not up to listening to that, you can give it a skip. This episode is brought to you by University Bookshop. Check them out online at www.unibooks.co.nz or pop in in person at 360 Great King Street, Dunedin. We love you. Thank you, UBS. Hi. Hello. Welcome Welcome to to Required Reading. Reading. I'm Charlie. And I'm Amy. And we are two unqualified Otago students. And in this podcast, we discuss books and sometimes their adaptations, mostly so we can avoid our uni work. On today's episode, we're talking about Call Me By Your Name, the book, the movie, and the song, as well as Maurice by E.M. Forster, an underrated classic. So on this episode, we're talking about Freestone versus Clingstone Peaches, the importance of queer representation, the etymology of the word apricot, and Timothy Shalomagoop's side profile. Stay tuned to find out more. Amy. Oh, we're doing Call Me By Your Name today. Yeah. <laughs> Get it? Anyway, um, so yes, welcome back everybody. It's so good to be back. A little we- bit squared, a little bit nervous. A little bit nervous, but uh, we're super excited to have another season of Required Reading. <gasps> um, this season's going to be bigger. Better. Better. Mm-hmm. And ever so slightly more gay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so we're super excited to be back. We've had our little break. Mm-hmm. Um, we're desperate. We've done a, a, a moderate amount of reading. How much? How many books have you read since we last recorded? Um, 14. Right, okay, you win. Uh, <laughs> I think I've read like four. That's four more than you said. You said you were going to get through, what, like 20 words? Yeah, so that's true. Yeah. I am an overachiever. And some of those books we're going to be talking about this season. Yeah, exactly. So very exciting. Um, but yeah, so we're starting off this season with a double feature, mm-hmm. if you will. But we're really focusing today on Call Me By Your Name. I mean, it's already kind of a modern classic. Yeah. Uh, but we're also going to be focusing on a book that should be be a classic mm. and kind of is in certain circles yeah. but doesn't have the same sort of name recognition as it's even even the author's other to- novels. Totally understated. So we want to talk about Maurice by E.M. Forster, which was written at the turn of the century and is a really, really important text. Both of these books mm-hmm. have, um, let's say, gay themes, <laughs> characters. It's, mm-hmm. They're both gay romances. Yeah. And that's between two men. Between two men, and that's one of the reasons why we've put them together today. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, they've both been adapted into films. Yeah. And in fact, they've got the same director, which is interesting considering they were released like 20 years apart. 30 years apart. Yeah. I don't think they have the same director. They have the one directed Maurice, and and then he was the, the screenwriter for, for Call Me By Your Name. So, yeah, today we'll probably start with mm-hmm. Call Me By Your Name. Yeah. Um, as we like to do, a little intro about sort of the author mm-hmm. and the context behind the book, yep. really. Um, so Andre Ackman, who is the author of Call Me By Your Name, he's an Italian-American who was brought up and lived in Egypt. He's mm-hmm. now like a full-time scholar, yep. and he sort of teaches all around the world uh, different forms of literature and different yep. languages. Uh, He had quite an interesting upbringing. He grew up in a very hostile environment um, because him and his family were Jewish. And at the time in Egypt, the president, Gamal Abdel Nasser, was executing like the systemic regime of oppression. uh, And it kind of culminated in this mass expulsion of all Jewish people from the country. Mm. So, And that that kind of... his Jewish upbringing does come through and Call Me By Your Name. Absolutely. It's quite a major part of it. But then an interesting factor is the fact that he is not homosexual. Yeah. So, like, he can reflect to the characters, and that does sort of... It's definitely it's definitely a nuanced discussion that has to be had. You know, can people, can straight people ever write gay characters, or can, you know, can gay people ever write straight people? It's, it's not a simple 
thing to think about. No, and especially with the controversy around like American dirt. Yeah. Um, we probably don't have time to go into the full mm. nuances of that discussion, but there's some really great articles online about the book American Dirt, mm. and that sort of talks about the who is telling yeah. which stories. Can can people who haven't actually experienced things speak to experience? Yeah. And the th- the answer is. We don't really know. We have and it no really, idea. It really depends on it depends on the specific circumstances and the the way that things are, are played out. It's really, unfortunately, we can't be like this is right, this is wrong. Yeah, but I feel but, like at least "Call Me by Your Name" isn't like homophobic. Yep. So we're off to a good start. Mm-hmm. Yep. But yeah, let's just jump right in. I mean, I feel like we're a bit cold. A yeah, bit cold I, at the feel moment. A bit, I feel a bit tight. I feel, you know? I feel I just tight. Feel I don't feel like I'm ready to yet. To loosen up, if yeah, you will. Yeah, we need to loosen up. And so in order to loosen up, we're going to have a little fun fact. Yeah. Um, so, Amy, what's your fun fact? So my fun fact, you know how I feel about yarn crafts. I do. Love to knit, love to crochet. Yeah. Um, so Andre Ackman's father owned a knitting factory in Egypt. That was how they, they earned money. A knitting factory, not How even fun. like a, a wool factory? Nope. Knitting. Knitting. They had knitting machines. Wow. Which is pretty cool. I really want one. If anyone has one, let me know. A knitting machine. Yeah. You can make socks. Just use your hands. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and my fun fact is that Andre Ackerman, the author I was talking about just before, can speak English, Italian, Arabic, Greek, and Ladino? Ladino? What is Ladino? Oh, Ladino. (laughs) (laughs) That feels racist. (laughs) No, I actually do kind of know. It's like, um, it's an Andalusian language, so it originated in like certain parts of Spain. Oh, is it actually, I thought you were just saying Latino wrong. But Latino is not a language. No, Latino is is, a... from Latin America, Ladino is like a language in oh, Spain. Oh, Ladino is different. Yeah, Ladino is oh, a language. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's 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 a, it's a genuine language. Okay, cool. From a region I, in I Spain. I believe you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I think one of the things we've got to talk about when we start talking about this book is how do we actually feel about it? Because the other books that we've done, although we've talked about like good parts and bad parts of all of them, we have loved the last four episodes those books you know yeah so how do you feel about call me by your name um to be honest i don't feel much um i know that i i do kind of want to talk about it because a lot of my queer friends absolutely love Mm. and adore this book but i don't really feel the same way i think it's kind of fine i think it's quite well written Mm -hmm. um and i think it has some really important queer experiences Mm -hmm. uh sort of portrayed very accurately, um, especially considering, you know, it's a straight author. Yeah. But, well, that we know of. Um, but at the same time, it's fucking weird. Mm, and so true. there are also certain problematic parts of it. Yeah. And I also think that, like, the movie has romanticized basically the entire book and taken out all of the mm. really weird and bizarre parts yeah. that exist in the book. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? I feel similar. Like it'll when we get into this episode, you're gonna go. You guys do care because <laughs> we do. We do. But um, I don't know. When I first read it, I thought it was. I had some really beautiful writing, and I thought it was. But I think it. I think it's a weird book. I think there's some elements mm. that I was at the time like, okay, is this what love's like? I don't think so. Yeah, there's some really strange strange bits but I think it's a book that should be I don't think it should ever not be consumed but I think it needs to be consumed within the context you know that it's not written by an openly queer person yeah I I I have some very contrasting thoughts and we we, will get into that because I both love and hate Mm. certain aspects yeah of the book but yeah we're getting ahead of ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're getting ahead yeah, of ourselves. Oh my gosh. All right. We so, loosened up too much. No, too much. Oh my gosh. I feel so open. Those facts were so fun. Um, <laughs> they were probably our <laughs> least fun fun They were too facts fun. <laughs> really starting off strong. Starting the show off strong. Good work. Um, okay, so I'm going to briefly talk about the plot of Call Me By Your Name. I'm pretty sure that most people know about it, but. Mm-hmm. 
basically both the book and the film is about a young 17 year old Jewish boy named Elio who spends his summers in Italy with his family. This summer, which is set in 1983, there's something a little different Mm -hmm. because his university professor father has got a young scholar named Oliver living and working with them. And over the course of the summer, the two men explore southern Italy and they develop a relationship ending... And kind of utter heartbreak for Alio, depending on if you look at the film or the mm. book, because they do have different endings. Yeah. The thing to really think about, though, is the the Italian setting. Oh. Is the, is the blue skies, the trees, the dappled light, the stone fruit. The stone fruit. The stone fruit, uh, the food. Okay, so just get yourself into, into that. Yeah, which place? Which is in one way that like the movie does surpass the mm-hmm. book is in that setting. Yeah, because tell me you haven't watched Call Me by Your Name and be like, I want to live in Italy right the fuck now. Take me there. Take, Take me, me to Crema. Okay. Yeah, and I feel like the book didn't really transport. No, oh, not transport. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> transport me in the same way. You know, I think also the setting is actually quite important to consider because it is this kind of slow ambling kind of summer summer setting you know like th- these events only really happen because they've got time to percolate yeah but then also it doesn't take you know in terms of romance books mm. it takes place over just a few months yeah it's, over, it's only the it's, i think it's only six weeks yeah it's only like a summer holiday a university yeah. summer holiday so it does happen pretty quick but there is one thing that we kind of want mm. to discuss basically immediately yeah And it's the age gap. Mm. So Elio in the book and the film is 17, a 17-year-old schoolboy. And Oliver is a 24-year-old working professional. He's doing his PhD. He's doing his PhD. Which kind kind of puts it in proportion. I mean, not that you can't put 17 and 24 in proportion, but they're at totally different life stages. Yeah, they are. This, this is where I find it very interesting mm. because, yes, in a lot of ways, the age gap is very large. Troubling. And also it's troubling because Oliver sleeps with, like, Elio's friends yeah. who are also 17. Yeah. And so there does seem to be a pattern arising. But then at the same time, this is very authentic for a lot of queer experiences. Mm. Yeah. Espe- I assume especially in the 80s yeah. where there wasn't the same sort of availability mm. seems like a weird term to use but I, i'm gonna I guess, st- stand by it yeah the availability of Open, queer people yeah. openly queer people yeah. in society and so you kind of just sleep with whoever you mm. can it is and that's the same pretty normal to have kind of older more knowledgeable gay men kind of i don't know teach in, teach yeah introduce and I tell you, younger gay men into into the gay scene. Yeah, and it's incredibly common now. Mm. Um, it's actually a lot. It can get a, a whole lot worse than that. Um, but again, like in the in the movie, it's very mm. romanticized, and I, I think that a lot of those issues are sort of brushed over. Partly because like Timothy Chalamet looks older than seventeen. Yeah, exactly. But, like, in the book, because you're in Elio's perspective, you can see his absolute devotion that mm-hmm. only sort of a young and a kind of obsession and an obsession as well and oliver does notice and he knows that that obsession exists and mm. still well there's kind pursues. of a moment in the book where he's like this isn't right you're too young for me and then he's like <laughs> anyway <laughs> <laughs> let's go fuck. let's go <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah well, i don't know it's, i think that that is um I think it's very interesting, and I think that you'd find a lot of different opinions based yeah. on like age group, sexuality. It's- I guess for me, it's kind of, I don't know, looking at it on paper, if I had seen you when I knew you when you on were paper. 17. On paper. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go for a chat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, love Island. That's yeah. where true love is. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll be talking about that later. We won't. Yeah, we'll not, never talk about it. But. Uh, um, but on on paper... If I had seen you at age 17 with a 24-year-old boyfriend, I think I would have been a bit shocked. Yeah. But I totally agree and support with what, support what you're saying. Yeah. 
it is it's just it's a hard thing and I think also for me it's more of a question not of age gaps but maturity gaps yeah you know I totally agree I think that is the complicated bit Mm. like not the fact that he was like if he was just a 24 year old that lived down the street that's kind of different to yeah your dad's work buddy I think that that's the thing that makes me uncomfortable is is not the 17 to 24 it's the fact that Elio is hasn't finished high school he's just on a summer holiday and Oliver's already done an entire undergraduate and is now kind of doing PhD level They're, they're obviously not at the same place in life but yeah yeah tricky it is tricky. Um, Probably going to get quite a lot of that this episode where we go, here are the issues we feel really strongly about them, but also we don't know what to yeah, decide. We don't know what to decide, but that's kind of, I just want, we just wanted to sort of present two different mm. ideas of, or ways that you can look at that issue and analyse them, but like not necessarily tell you what we think. Yeah. Because honestly, I have no idea. I don't know if I'm, I find it disturbing or realistic well the first time that I I read it I didn't really think about it because you're going from Alio's point of view and I also think that it is it's kind of the Lolita thing where it's Alio is the pursuer Mm. you know and in Lolita by Nabokov it's really painted that like Lolita wanted to have a relationship with the main character of Lolita you don't remember what his name Humphreys never read it (laughs) um but it is that kind of I don't I think it's incredibly troubling that kind of um, I guess putting the it's putting the decision and the consent within the minor's hands, yeah. which it shouldn't be. Yeah. But then again, a lot of people would be like, "Well, Italy's got an age of fourteen for consent." Is that true? I think so. Age of fourteen for consent. Um, that's what I knew it was, and when it, fourteen, yep. Wow. Throw it in under the Tuscan sun. <laughs> well, I guess there also isn't like some magical number where no, you no. are suddenly like, wow, I am really mature and I can make any life decision. Mm-hmm. But Elio is immature in the book, so. Yeah. Also, speaking of the book, <sighs> yeah. and as compared to the movie, one thing that really was, was left out is the fact that the book is fucking weird. Yeah. There's a lot of weird stuff. Um, and I feel like it kind of um, passes over your head because, like, most of it's like this really lovely, pretty writing, and then there's just these scenes where you're like, what? "Did that really happen?" Well, like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> like fever dream style. Like, I don't know what. Anyway, I, one scene really sticks in my mm. head. Now, um, if you've read the book, it's the poop scene. So I'm just going to quickly recap. So, so Alio and uh, Oliver, they're off in Rome mm-hmm. on a romantic weekend away. And Oliver goes to the toilet and uh, he does the number two. And Alio goes, fuck yeah, that's hot. So he watches. Oh and then Alio goes, I would like to poo on top of your poo. Oh this God. is actually really hard this for me to so even say, but like, even... this is in the book. <laughs> anyway, he really goes, he goes, <laughs> he goes, I want to poo on top of your poo, Oliver. And then he sits down and then he goes, Oliver, push it out of me. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and um, then he does. If my grandma's listening, can you just skip over just this? Just skip but... over. And I remember listening, because I was listening to this little bit on audiobook. At the at, gym? At the gym. And I was like, the fuck just <laughs> happened. Is this what straight people think that gay sex is like? <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, as as a naive, young, reasonably straight person reading it, I thought, okay. So that's anal. <laughs> so that's anal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness God. me. It's, and, and it's kind of like, that seems justified as they want to be the same person. Yeah. But I just think that's really creepy. Really creepy. And there's and lots of stuff like that where, like, Elio, like, puts Oliver's, like, sweaty shorts onto yeah. his head. Yeah. I'll, yeah. But, like, that, that's also classic 17-year-old stuff. The, yeah, true. The, the thing that strikes me as weird about the poo scene is Oliver goes, yeah, I'm into this as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, there's also like other weird things that aren't necessarily sexual and gross. But are just bizarre. Just like, bizarre. So when Oliver comes down for his first breakfast in, in Italy, yeah. um, they give him a boiled egg and he goes, What the fuck? What is how, this? How do I open how it? How do I open it? And he doesn't, and he kind of, and there's this weird paragraph where he's kind of like 
Elio's watching him look at the egg <laughs> and going, why isn't he opening it? Is he suspicious? Do you think that's a euphemism for the fact that he's not straight? Egg? Woman, I think that would be a, list, a weird metaphor to make. Well, I'm trying to think of why, because they go over this They go over this several lot. times. Several times. They it's come actually, back to it. It's part of like his character growth, yeah. is the fact that he learns, he learns how, to how to open, open up an a boiled egg by egg. himself. So like, I'm just trying to think of why. Why Why was that? Inc- I think it's just that like, Elio sees Oliver as this kind of, when he comes in, he kind of, he kind of thinks that he kind of acts like a, a movie star and that yeah. he's so American yeah. and so kind of privileged to the point at which he doesn't know how to open an egg, which yeah. is the case. And so I think that that's more more of it than I Ovum. think gay. I think Ovum, I think it was about woman and how he's rejecting the And egg. he goes, ooh, icky, ooh, ladies. Yuck, I can't open it. <laughs> <laughs> Give me an eggplant. <laughs> You can't do the tongue sticky out face. <laughs> I can just because well, they can't see it's me. Literally, just like. Ah. <laughs> um, one final little bit is there's this weird like tangent that the author goes on where he discovers and he discusses like the etymology of the word apricot, apricot and it ends in just a large number of times, a large repetition of the word apricot. Apricocca. 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 And it just keeps on going and going and well, going. Elio's dad uses it as kind of a test for his, his summer students. He has yeah. a summer student every year that comes and works with him. And he kind of says, he says this thing where he's like, apricot comes from like the, the Latin apricocca or something yeah. like that. And um, if normally everyone's like, yeah, you are incredibly, incredibly qualified. I'm not going to argue with you. Yeah. But Oliver goes, no, you're wrong. It actually comes from something or other. And it goes on for, for pages. And it's literally just like I was reading it. And I was like, God, what? Andre Ackman, we get it. You know that. And he like wrote it into we get the it. story you can just speak so he could be like, languages. he could be like, I understand language. Like, <laughs> And also in Andre, the movie, I hate, I hate Oliver's line. He says, oh, sorry, guys. I'm just going to talk about etymology here. Ooh, imagine if somebody said that to you in real life. If you said Wait, something, they're like... Sh- sh- sorry, I'm actually just going to... I'm just going to explain the, the, the etymology. etymology now. Ooh, Mm-mm. seriously disgusting. One thing that I really enjoyed about mm. the book, as opposed to the movie, mm-hmm. is that he does really capture what it is like to yeah. be 17. He captures yeah. the awkwardness, the random fleeting obsessions with just mm-hmm. like, I mean, yes, Oliver, but also a bunch of other things throughout the book. And yeah. sort of the the idea that he wants to try everything and also do nothing. Mm-hmm. That dichotomy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That <laughs> like, good and good, that, that bad and bad, that duality. Exactly. And yeah. so... Yeah. I totally agree. I think that like I what I think everybody is, you know, really intense when they're seventeen. Look yeah. at Olivia Rodrigo. Beautiful, fantastic album Sour, right? Yeah. Does every time I listen to it I go, Oh, baby girl. You don't know nothing. She's seventeen. Yeah. <laughs> she has that like she has that intensity of feeling and obsession with like specific people and kind of things that you make up in your head that you only have when you're seventeen. And you get to like twenty one and you go, Oh girly and I remember when I was 17, like, my cousin would be like, oh, you're just so young. And I'd be like, fuck you, I'm not. I'm grown up. Like, I'm yeah, I'm 17. I'm, yeah. If any 17-year-olds are listening, you're a baby, okay? Yeah, we love you. a small baby. Come for a cuddle. We yeah. will give you one. Um, but also, like, it really hints on all of that stuff about crushing on somebody so mm. intently within about three minutes of meeting them and being like, you are the love of my life. Yeah. And that's also interesting to think about, like, in the book, it's kind of more clear. Not more clear, but mm. it's more ambiguous about whether or not Oliver actually feels the same way as Elio does. Definitely. You know, like, in the movie, it's like, this is a true they romance. They both love each other. But yeah. it really, in the book, it's kind of like, I kind of get the feeling that Oliver doesn't really care that much. He's just sort of a slam piece. Mm. <laughs> Bold. Um, I I totally agree. I think, that, I think that's one of the good things about the book, is that it's not... I think because it is kind of a bit of a spicy take, 
I think it's good that it's not this is exactly the way that it was and it's just like this is the 17 year old's intense feelings and experience yeah I also think that something to be thought about is like the fact that they're rom- they're only really openly romantic to each other in the last two weeks of the of Elio's not Elio's Oliver's stay literally and I like when I closed the book I was like okay they're doing some weird intense stuff with what we talked about before I will not refer oh my god (laughs) (laughs) so they're doing some really weird intense stuff and I think like there's people that I've felt intensely about and now I go you did not know them (laughs) like you were yeah sure you did feel so strongly but you did you actually didn't know them and like I think about the fact that if they had continued to be together for longer I don't think they would have lasted like I don't actually think that this is as much of a romantic book as people think it is. I, I think, think it's, it's more, more of a coming of age. It's an it's a tale about adolescent obsession mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. and devotion yeah, rather than romance. Who were you obsessed and devoted about when you were 17? My girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um. <laughs> I wasn't obsessed with my boyfriend. <laughs> Who was I... I don't know, 17. This is so long ago now. I actually have no idea. 17 again. We're back in our 17-year-old bodies. You're Zac Efron. I'm also <laughs> Zac Efron. <laughs> what are we thinking about? Uh, the psychology of, of a 17-year-old. I feel like I've blocked most of it out, to be honest. It was traumatic. It Just was being traumatic. alive. Nothing really happened to me, but... It was awful. <laughs> I had a r- I was, really terrible acne. I thought I thought about that. I a was lot. in year thirteen, and I was a different person. Yeah, we don't talk about past Amy. <laughs> anyway, anyway, <laughs> so uh, there is something interesting that we found out while we were researching for this mm. episode is that Oliver was supposed to die. Yeah, he was gonna. Ackman always meant for him to just d- drown at the end. He kind of wanted to do it like. So they're kind of the story's happening where Percy Shelley, who was a an English poet. The story's kind of happening around where he and Mary Shelley and Lord Byron kind of stayed for quite a lot of their life, and Percy Shelley drowned. Yeah. Did he? Yes. Die in Italy. Drowned. He did. Yay. Oh, not yay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he drowned. (laughs) Great. Um, So it's supposed to be that parallel, and so there is kind of a lot of talk about water in the book. Um, It must mean something, okay? Yeah, yeah. There was a ton of talk about water water and so obviously yeah i'm thinking back to back to him coming out like yeah, yeah. probably woman um waters oh, the water's God. breaking <laughs> how coming out you know that sort of thing yeah so true <laughs> um i also so also ackman said when asked about this he just said well look, it was more fun to write oliver when he was alive then dead. Then if he was dead, I didn't want to. Yeah but like that's also interesting that he left all of like the intense water references Yep. And just, like, a lot of symbolism around water. Mm-hmm. But then there was no payoff. There was no drowning. Yeah. I also think it's really good that he didn't kill Oliver because there is this kind of trope that I've been doing a lot of reading about recently called Bury Your Gaze. Yeah. Which is the idea, and you can kind of see it in lots of things, like The Walking Dead and The 100, and, like, all of those kind of things have really good... Like, look it up. It has really good examples of Bury Your Gaze. But essentially it's where... Gay and queer characters are seen as more expendable than their heterosexual counterparts. So they they always die first in horror movies, or and this also goes hand in hand with like the idea that the queer experience is incomplete without tragedy. Mm. Well, this this actually, I mean, this sort of concept extends far beyond just queer characters. Mm. I mean, we see this again with traditional trope where if you aren't white you're also going to die first in a horror yep. movie um there's this concept of fridging um in fridging. films yeah oh, fridging which is fridge. where yep. which is where like a woman dies in order to further a man's story rather well, than is like it's, it's the start of their story it's the start of it's their story their, their, you know yeah they can't they so basically the woman just kind of was created love for nothing we love a plot device we love woman being used as a plot device but yeah like it's kind of interesting and it's good that he didn't go down that road look my bottom line is let's just kill the white don't straight say people bottom off. okay <laughs> <laughs> just because we're talking about gay stuff seriously uh that really surprised me <laughs> i'm sorry no, charlie you can, bottom is not an insult. <laughs> 
Um, I have a question. Yeah. Why did Elio not want to vomit in front of... Okay, I'm actually not going to... Let's not. <laughs> okay, another thing that is really... We'd like to come back to. Yeah, it's kind of circling back and yeah. further elaborating on is the fact that... And this is actually quite interesting to look mm. at with the film industry. The fact that Elio and Oliver being Jewish mm. is actually quite a major component of their characters yeah. in the book and barely touched upon... In the movie. Well, the only reference to it is that Elio wears a beautiful chain. Throwback to Connell's chain. Just like that. (laughs) There's a little Star of David on it. So pretty. So nice. So good. And they both have it on. And that's the only reference in the movie, really. Really subtle. I think there's like two lines of dialogue where it's like glossed over. But I think they kind of stayed away from it because I don't think... I think Timothy Chalamet... Sorry. Timothy Chalamet-Goop. Thank you. I don't believe that he is Jewish. Army Hammer... Is so that's interesting that they didn't really care whether the characters were Jewish or gay. Mm. The actors, I mean, they said Castle, straight white man. But I, but I do believe that Army Hammer has got some Jewish heritage. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, but it is it, like they are both a good portrayal of gay Jewish men in the 80s, yeah. And what I like about it is that it again, with the with having no barrier gays in it, it was kind of a depiction of Jewish men free of like tragedy or anti-Semitism. It was just a fact. Yeah. I actually really liked that. Like, it mm. wasn't... Yes, it was a core component of their characters, but mm-hmm. it wasn't a core component of the story. No. Like, it didn't Not once serve, was it a plot device. No, it, it was just they were Jewish men in love. Mm-hmm. But, like, it was just beautiful. Yeah. Al dente bouncy bites. <laughs> so, I don't know if... if if you don't follow us on Instagram, you should really go do that. Yeah, at really Required should. Reading. But we recently did a giveaway where we gave away our favourite lollies that we get in the Central Library uh, campus shop. Mm-hmm. And they're called Al Dente Bouncy Bites. But they only come Fettuccine in two flavours. Fettuccine gummy, yep. They only come in two flavours. And the best flavour is Italian, Italian peach. peach. Um, Which makes us kind of come back to the peach scene. We would be remiss... We would be, this episode would be incomplete if we didn't touch on the peach scene. That peach scene. Which I'll, because you did the gracious effort of doing the poop scene, I'll Thank be talking you. about the peach scene. Awesome. So, Elio has just gone off, he's had sex with Marcia, mm-hmm. I believe, and he's kind of waiting around, he's talked to, to Oliver, and Oliver said, I'll see you at midnight. Mm. So, this all happens on the same day, which yeah. is ridiculous. And so, Elio... I think he feels a bit nervous or something, yeah. and he goes. I think he just feels excited. I think he just feels he feels a lot. We've yeah. established so again, seventeen year old about to experience, yeah. and it's kind of it's almost an American Pie scene. It's there's a fruit, there's a pain, there's an interaction. I don't know the American Pie scene. So the he wanks into a peach. Well, he wanks into a pie. <laughs> oh, does he? Yeah, that's why it's called American Pie. Ooh. Why do I even know that? But- <laughs> Again, this is another classic example of Ackerman going, I'm going to and then, portray the, this as like mm-hmm. weirdly romantic. Because then Oliver comes upon Elio uh, post-climax. <laughs> <laughs> God, <I> Post-expulsion? <laughs> Ooh. 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 I'm so sorry Ooh. to our mums. Yuck. Rachel, die. Please forgive us. Please. Um, and Oliver goes, Elio is embarrassed, as he should fucking be. Yeah, because he just came into a peach. Oh, God. And, and Oliver goes, don't be embarrassed. And then he eats the peach. Yuck. And poor Timothy Shalmagoop does this in the movie. He does it with such sincerity and, and seriousness. And it would never be erased. How many gay men, gay couples, do you think have tried that? After the movie, I think that's came a out. really good point. I honestly reckon, gay men are—they f- are filthy and gross. <laughs> and I wouldn't be surprised if they went. Let's try that. Seriously, see, I worry about the straight women. Ooh, and I, I worry. I talk about that. And I worry about the fact that they just really like peaches now because of it. What? There's a lot of on Tumblr. A lot of people kind of going, "Here are my peach cupcakes. Call me by your name." <laughs> weird. Yuck, yucky. Yuck. Weird. So. Final thing that I kind of want to discuss is the title. Mm-hmm. 
call me by your name. Girl, and the, there's the scene where they say, call me by your name and I'll, I'll call, call you, you by, by mine. mine. Why? Why did they? Why? See, I just don't understand. Okay? I don't get it. And I feel like if anyone out of the two of us, if anyone out of the two of us could understand, it would be me, yeah. the literature student. Yeah. Because it seems really presumptuous. I'm gay. <laughs> and this True. Book, I'm and this sorry. Book so we equals. are on even footing. You're sort <laughs> yes, of right. Thank you. Um, I think. I don't know. I think he wrote something that he was like, this is so fucking deep. <laughs> and everyone went, whoa, that's fucking deep. And but no one but knows I why. don't think it is. I think, I think, I guess the way that I've rationalized it is that they're kind of calling each other by their own names because they're the same person. But that's sort of a running theme throughout the entire book is basically yep. Elio wanting to basically cohabitate. Yep. Oliver. Codependent like, like completely like become the same person. It's very intense. Yeah. And I feel like that, I guess, I suppose that is kind of the culmination of that running theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't like it. I and don't they like, like it. whisper to each other and he's like, Elio, Elio, Elio. But it's Elio saying that. And I yeah. just kind of don't understand. But like, good for them. You're so right, Charlie. Maybe I'll understand when I have a serious long-term partner. Maybe we'll understand then. I'm sorry, this got so dark. <laughs> it's okay, we're soulmates in each other. <laughs> well, so we only need two weeks, apparently. <laughs> okay, so, oh, so that kind of... I don't know, I don't really have anything else to say about the book, do no, you? No, I, I don't think so. I think, I think the important thing is if you're listening to the audiobook, Earpods in, girly. Earpods, Earpods in. in. Yeah. Or earphones. God, that was so elitist of me to just assume everyone had earpods. <laughs> but yeah, don't don't put it out loud. I remember I was listening to it in my room out loud because I listened to a lot of books. And mum came in and I was like, it was like scrambling to pause. But it's uh, weird it because real. it's not like it's super graphic. In terms of sexual it's nature, it's just cringy and kind of gross. Yeah, yeah. I would say out of context, but also in context, it's still gross. Mm-hmm. I think read it if you really want to. Why not? But we'll, I'll talk about later why you should just read Maurice instead. I just, I just don't think. To be honest, I think you get most of the same enjoyment from the movie, and I don't say that lightly. See, I watched the movie first, and I don't feel like. I was like, it's so pretty, and but I didn't get any of the plot. I didn't understand it. But I feel like I actually preferred it more as just like a romance mm. rather than the weird teen obsession. I didn't really yep. vibe with that yeah, story yeah, yeah. as much. Same. So we've got Anna from UBS here with us uh, going to announce the book giveaway for this episode. So Anna, what is the book that you're giving away for this one? Kia So first up, we've got Before You Knew My Name by Jacqueline Bublitz. Now, she's a New Zealand author, and her book has just come out within the past couple of months. It has been a massive hit. There were publishers who were actually fighting to get the rights Whoa. to publish her book. Oh um, so there was a huge amount of excitement leading up to the book coming out, and it re- it's just been a sellout. Oh, amazing. Um, so what is the book kind of about? What would be a brief synopsis? So, Before You Knew My Name starts off with a character called uh, Ruby Jones. And you already know that she's going to die. Oh. Um, and the book is is a crime book. And what happens, it, it's a different take on crime. So, have you read The Lovely Bones? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, similar to that. So, it's all told from the victim's perspective mm-hmm. rather than, you know, who was the murderer and why did they do it and the psychology behind it all. Um, so, it's about her about Ruby, who, cool. who is she as a person? What's led her to this place, and what impact does she have on other people's lives? Love that. I, I f- loved it. Yeah, I feel like there's been a massive movement recently of focusing on victim perspectives rather than the perpetrator or like even the police investigation. Because when you focus yeah. on those sorts of things, you can lose the victim in these yeah, stories. Yeah, absolutely. And it can become a situation where it's purely a plot device for people mm. to die, and often women. Mm, to die, but exactly. it's, it's so it's it's very exciting to see that stories are being told. Yeah, yeah, it's a great feminist take. Yeah, yeah, um, I awesome. guess. Yeah, cool. great. So yeah, if that book sounds up your alley, then go over to our Instagram at Required Reading, and 
you could be in the chance to win a copy. So yeah, the movie came out in 2017, and I feel like even though it wasn't a blockbuster, mm. it was a cultural reset. It took the world by storm. Timothy Shalamagoop became an overnight sensation. I didn't know him. I did not know I'm sorry know to this man. I did not know him I, before this. But did anybody? Was it his first movie? <laughs> No, he was in a Christmas movie. That doesn't count. Before that. And he did stage acting, I think. Yuck. So basically his first movie. Well, yeah. And he got nominated for an Oscar for it. I see. He did a really good job. He did do a really good job. We can make fun of this book a lot, but Timothy Sheldon did a stellar job. And you know what? He deserved that Oscar for his side side profile profile alone. alone. Yep. Seriously. I... We were, oh, we, it's sensational. We were watch, re-watching the movie in the weekend to prepare for this. And yep. so many times I had to go, Charlie, stop, stop, stop. Just so we could look at his beautiful, beautiful, sharp side profile. So something that has kind of overshadowed the discussion mm-hmm. around Call Me By Your Name yeah. is the allegations of Army Hammer mm. being a cannibal. Yeah. I don't even... We don't want to talk or joke about it too much because, like, it's a real lived experience for the victims. Yeah. Um, I think the bottom line to take away is that Army Hammer's behaviour has been really, really out of line and weird. And I think it's, it's, it's like, if you read beyond just the, mm. I don't know, just, like, the fact that Army Hammer is a cannibal, it's actually quite damaging a lot of the stuff that he's done. Definitely. You know, it's not like, I feel like it's not really something that is, it's easy to be like, ha ha ha, funny, 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 Army Hammer is a cannibal. But I think there's been a lot of memes and I think that's taken away from the actual, like, horror that he's inflicted. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, he, in early 2021, one of his ex-partners came out with a lot of receipts alleging his abusive behaviour and his proclamation that he's a cannibal. And uh, a lot of his other ex-partners have absolutely backed these claims up Yeah. to the point at which his ex-wife has said that she believes all of the women. Yeah. Has this gone to court? Not yet. It is, though. I think so. I think Hammer wants to take the women to court for defamation. Okay. I'm not sure if any of the... I Not in my investigation. In my investigation. <laughs> <laughs> when I uncovered these things. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't I can't believe we're breaking this news right now. Oh, my God. Three months late. <laughs> Amy has cracked the case. <laughs> Amy Hammer is a bad person. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's... I think the thing that I'm really disgusted by is that he is the textbook white male privilege. Yeah. Like he comes from a, a extraordinarily wealthy old rich family in New York that are oil, I think, or petrol tycoons. Um, and there's lots of, there's a book by his aunt talking about the abuse within the family. And so I think that this is re- a really stellar example of how, straight white men can really get away with whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. What a somber turn. Anyway, um, so <laughs> let's move on with our discussion oh my of God. the movie. I need to talk about something that I have been obsessed with, but I haven't really had the opportunity to really get into it. Have you not been in a safe space? I haven't been in a safe space. I've yeah. been in the right the right headspace for mm-hmm. it. I did I did do this at actually your twenty first as one of my yeah, four, that's right. well, outfit, four outfit changes. Um and that is the Collared shirt, tight short, high top sneaker mm, combo mm-hmm. that absolutely slapped. And they <sighs> sent me. They pull it off so well. It's kind of like that smart, casual, chic. Ugh. And I think the thing that really needs to be stressed is that the the collared shirts are flowy. Yes. The collared shirts have movement. They are light. They are drapey. And they're boxy. Yeah. And that's important. Um, and if you're in the studio with me, you would have seen me just do a lot of actions describing it. I'm in the studio with her, in fact. It's so true. Can, can confirm. I can confirm that those were the actions she was partaking in. I also strongly believe, and I used to, as a child, be like, short shorts are disgusting, and they are the pits foul. But now I believe women are only allowed to wear long shorts. Very, very cute, very fun and, and groovy. Men, 
Shorten those shorts, please. I so agree. All the way up to the thigh. If you I can see half see a thigh. thigh. Oh. More. I want I want two thirds. Two thirds of a thigh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get rid of thigh highs. I want two thirds of a thigh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's that's a lot of thigh. Um, okay, so I feel like we don't really want to focus on the movie no. too much. Also cause boring. Yeah. The so book true. is kind of more interesting to talk about anyway. Yeah. And but I do I do there is one final iteration of Call Me By Your Name that we haven't talked about yet. Oh so true. Lil Nas. Lil Nas X. Yeah. Um hit the song It was okay. a cultural reset. A cultural reset. It's also awful. <laughs> I hated it. Um yep. still hate it. Can't really listen to it. I kinda like it just for the vibes. But the music video yeah. Okay, turn the party. By your name. Him twerking. Also, let me just reiterate. Not reiterate. I haven't talked about this yet. Mm-hmm. But I need to say that that was not twerking. Go back and watch <gasps> that video. And he is not. That feels homophobic. Watch it. Watch it. He is slightly moving his entire body. And he's like, yeah, I twerked. And I'm like, no, you Lil Nas gives you the least. Okay, he doesn't have to. He's yes, doing he the does. most. If he's going to say it. He's doing the most, okay? Call it by its name, and it's not twerking. Lil Nas is my favorite social media personality. Yeah, he's he is so great. funny. Love him. He's so vibrant. I only see the thing like things that other people share. Don't really oh, I don't follow him because I'm no. not on Twitter. I feel like it's too late for me to join. I don't really get what's up with Twitter. <sighs> I don't. Like, why would you join that? It? You know. Okay. So here's time for our new segment. That we did last time. Um, we really liked it. We're so un- we're doing it more. We don't know if you it liked more it. Because we love, like, we really love, like, planning mm. this section. Yeah. And so we feel like it must be funny for you to hear about yeah. it. Yeah. Right? And Seamus, my brother, who yeah. ha- kind of sparked the idea for this segment, he really liked it. That's all that really matters. Love you. Love you, bro. Um, so we've been on a Reddit rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, about call me by your name. And we have a ridiculous amount of stuff and we will be posting it on the Instagram Yeah, for the extras. So go over there if you want to see more. Yeah. First of all, I think we've just got to say that we, we went into the Reddit community of the, of the call me by your name thread. R slash call me by your name. Yeah. <laughs> and it said underneath about the members. Okay. The members were, uh, what like was it like fifteen thousand? Yeah, fifteen thousand summer, summer guests, guests and one hundred and fifty eight applicating, <laughs> <laughs> which is a reference to the the apricot conversation, which is so niche of them. <laughs> Should we each choose like our favorite Reddit find? Yeah, because my favorite is <laughs> you okay, need so the it's, better it's, one. <laughs> it's titled "Random Thought from <laughs> Maya <laughs> underscore Loves underscore Cows." So here's her random thought. <laughs> she goes, are the peaches freestone or clingstone? I know that freestone peaches are slightly later in the season than clingstones. During the peach scene, he pulls out the pit with not much effort, leading me to believe that it's a freestone. But also, it appears to be earlier in the season still, as the later part of the peach season is near the end, when Oliver leaves. And they're still there for a bit after he leaves, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, random and unimportant, but I was just curious. So, Amy, this is an important debate. Do you think the peach was a freestone or a clingstone? I think it must be a freestone. They make such good points about the, the, the stone coming away so freely. But then the seasons. So this, it's, it doesn't line up. <laughs> Things don't add up. My oh. favourite is also stone fruit related. Yeah. Um, so, in, in the book and in the movie, it's not really mentioned in the movie, they have apricot juice, which I have so many questions. Um, I've tried it once. Have you? It's actually tried it. delicious, yeah. But I would find, I find that an apricot can be so dry, but that might be because I only eat dried apricots. It's <laughs> 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 like one time I was eating um, crunchy peanut butter and I was like, well, this would taste so good if they were like little self-contained um, Crunchy snacks. And then I went, fuck, dude, you're losing touch with the common man. <laughs> anyway. Just peanuts. This, this post was titled Apricot Nectar. Discovered it is available here in the US. Won't name the store or the brand. <laughs> Delicious, but far too much added sugar. 
Is plain apricot juice tasty? I want to know why they won't name the store or the brand. <laughs> I want to know, like, in why, my mind, what a secret about it. In my mind, they don't want anyone else to have it. <laughs> but that is their special apricot juice. But I don't juice. get it. Apricot why... <laughs> But it's so weird to go onto this community where everybody probably wants to try this apricot nectar. But then they're like, hey, I I'm not going to help you. It. I found it, therefore you can too. Like... <laughs> My other favourite one, I have a lot of, I'm really interested in like the culture of fan fictions. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's really fascinating. Um, this one, <laughs> what are you laughing at? What you're about to read. <laughs> <laughs> this one makes me really just feel some kind of way. Okay. It wasn't a bigger post, it was just the title. Yeah, very small. Surprising lack of fan fictions where Oliver's mother is dead. <laughs> Why is that surprising? Is that, <laughs> is surprising? that like a really common trope in fan fiction? I don't even to have think his mother's died? mentioned. No, book, never. Really. Never. Well, maybe not never, but... My my final one that I really want to share is one where there's someone's hand against the blue sky, okay? Yeah. The caption says, the blue sky always makes me think of the Call Me By Your Name poster. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine, imagine going for every day until you die. Every time you look at this guy, you go, wow, this looks like just like the 2017 movie, Call Me By Your Name. The, the theatrical release poster. Yeah. I actually commonly think that when I leave it as a blue sky. I'm like, God, this, I swear I've seen this somewhere. Mm-hmm. Where have I seen this blue sky? Yep. Call Me By Your Name poster. I actually also have one more. Okay, yeah. so when I say we're going to do one each, we're not. Um, this is actually the title of a poem. Oh, yeah. That somebody wrote. Somebody wrote. I, I, I'm not going to read out the poem because boring. I the title is enough. The poem was confusing and dry. Yeah, it's not very funny. But the okay. Anyway, here's the title: Sapphic fragments, or Elio waiting for a breakfast Zoom call with Oliver during the Great Plague. Now let me say this is not this isn't the start of a fan fiction or a story. No. It's just a poem, and mm-hmm. neither Elio nor Oliver is mentioned in the poem. Nope. The thing that I love about this one, see, is that they're really referencing the cor- the, the current crisis, the current pandemic, but also the crisis of the of the fourteen hundreds, the Great Plague. So, so true. It is kind of confusing. And also the crisis of waiting for a Zoom call to begin. Yes. What does Sapphic mean? Sapphic comes from a book called The Sapphic Fragments, I think. And it's like one of the first lesbian texts. Like, but what does Sapphic mean? Sapphic is the name of the book, I think. And so the book is like, so, so Sapphic became like shorthand to refer to anyone who loved women, women loving women, you know? The, the book wasn't called Sapphic Fragments. It was written by Sappho, who was the most powerful lesbian that ever existed. In a way, that makes the title more confusing. Exactly. <laughs> You're so right. <laughs> Why was there a lesbian reference at the beginning? I don't anyway, know, lot to unpack there. Um, honestly, I'm over talking about Call Me By Your Name. Are you? Yeah, I'm so over it. We've talked about it for a long so time tired. now. And I think we need to talk about something that does not get enough discussion, doesn't get enough airtime. Mm-hmm. And that is the posthumously released novel written in 1913 mm-hmm. titled Maurice. Maurice. Yeah. So Maurice was written by E.M. Forster, who yeah. is one of my personal favorite writers. Yeah. He also wrote A Passage to India, I think. Yes. And um, Howard's End and A Room with a View, which is one of my favorites. And I really need you to read that. Okay. Think about it. Um, so he wrote it during his lifetime, but he never published it. Yeah. Because at the time that he was writing, homosexuality was still illegal. And he also didn't really think that it was a book worth publishing. He didn't like the kind of... He he didn't feel like he had written it well enough. He didn't feel like he did it justice, which I think he did. I think it's a beautiful story. Um, and But he... So he had he hid the novel under his bed until he died. and. Yeah. And begged everyone not to publish it. But it did get published in 1971, which was, what, 60? 60 years later? 60 years later. Um, And it has really become one of the most, I think, poignant classics. I think it's a really beautiful book. Um, And there was a note that was found on the manuscript that read, um, in 
Forster's own hand that said publishable, but worth it. Yeah. Which I think is just really... Sad. It's really sad. But because, I, like, this is also, this book is partly autobiographical. Mm-hmm. I mean, E.M. Forster was a gay man mm-hmm. who had, what well, at the time, he had a life partner. Yeah. They were friends. They were, they were real really good close friends. friends. <laughs> really close friends. That is one of my favorite things in history when the historians go, and they were such good friends, sometimes they had sex. <laughs> <laughs> It was like these two women were really close bosom friends and they only had sex every single day <laughs> for their entire lives and they lived together for 60 years and they adopted children. So that was Maurice. That was No, Maurice. wait, what? Ian Forster. <laughs> yeah. So um, so a synopsis of the book, it's it's set at the turn of the century, so, so the Victorian era, and we follow this young boy called Maurice as he goes through his high school career and into Cambridge. And Maurice is, he's wealthy and white and privileged, but he also has this like strong experience of constantly feeling ashamed and unsafe. And that's something that is explored really deeply in the books. Um, and so at um, university, Maurice develops this deep fascination with his friend Clive Durham, which grows into this really deep love between them. Um and so this relationship carries into their adult life and they share an apartment and they become best friends. <laughs> and their their families just are like, well, oh, they're really close friends. They spend every day together. <laughs> um, Except Maurice's. Maurice's is like, yeah, know. Yeah, so true. Maurice's is like, Mar- they're kind of chill with it. It's, pr- it's kind of implied. There's this kind of reveal scene where like Clive is unwell and Maurice kisses him and then he t- says to his mother, oh, I... I didn't mean to do that. And she goes, don't worry, I know. And so, like, that's really that's a really lovely aspect. And then they kind of have this friend who's also gay that gets tried for being gay. And I think this, this spurs Durham into deciding that he wants to marry a woman, and so he does, which really breaks Maurice's heart because um, cause sad. Because sad. <laughs> sad. So these, this entire life of secrecy and internalised homophobia leads Maurice to kind of look for a cure, in mm. quotes. Um, and he goes to see this doctor uh, who tries to use hypnosis on him to cure him of the gay. Um, but it doesn't work. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. And then, so, Maurice goes to see Clive to kind of, like, win him back. But Clive's like, I love ladies now. But he doesn't. He, he also says a lot of things like, people aren't meant to be happy. <laughs> and he's like... Aren't ladies awesome? I love being friends. I mean, lovers with ladies. Yeah. And so while there, Maurice meets this gardener who's called Alec, Alec Scudder, and they fall in love. And then there are some hurdles that they have to go through, but they each choose to love each other authentically and they ditch society and they live happily ever after. In the countryside. In the countryside. It's real nice. Um, I actually haven't read it. Yeah, no. Just going to say it. Haven't read it, but I have, have watched, watched the, the movie. two and a half hour long movie with Hugh Grant's sensational hair. Oh, it's so floppy it's and glossy. It's so floppy. Like, it's honestly, so glossy. It, he could fit right into like, He's TikTok a beautiful now. man. TikTok, He's such era. a beautiful man. And you oh. know, that was like his second film ever. Like, he was Gosh. giving up film and then and, he did this one. And it was released right in the middle of. The AIDS pandemic. Yeah, the, the absolute peak of it. This unashamed queer, queer film. film where it's, it's it, and the thing that's so remarkable about Maurice, aside from the beautiful writing and, and the kind of exploration of internalized homophobia, is the fact that love wins. Yeah. That, and like Forster was really intentional about this. And, and it, this is like, you can see in his like diary writing and stuff, because he, he also felt like maybe they shouldn't be given a happy ending because. At the time, gay people weren't really given happy endings. But he felt that Alec and Maurice deserved to be happy, as did all gay people. But I also found it... I mean, obviously, this is just judging from the movie. But I found it that, yes, it was triumphant Mm. at the end from Maurice's point of view, but it was also devastating from Clive's point of view. Because, I don't know... Because he had to be with a lady. He had to be with a lady, and that's... Yuck. (laughs) Um, But he... Like, he didn't want to be with a lady. No, no. And it was quite clear. Um, And I think that's a really 
a, a, a good part of the novel yeah. is that there is this loose end where you you can see the other side of the experience as well, which are closeted gay people having to marry to be safe, but yeah. never being themselves. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's also cool about it is there is kind of a dissection of class mm. because Maurice is obviously really high class and it, it is he does have a privileged experience. He's not as unsafe as, say, lower class gay people, but there is this like choice to move away from the idea of society at the end because they run away together and become um, woodcutters. <laughs> Gay woodcutters. Good way. Yeah, they go and live in the woods. <laughs> and they cut up wood. It's so lovely. Um, so the book, as we were saying before, was adapted for the screen in 1987. Yeah. And it was directed by James Ivory. And he mm. was the screenwriter of Call Me By Name. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's how that ties in. Interesting. So. They're at least quite far apart. Yeah. Wow. But um, I think a lot of that to, it was to do with Ismail Merchant's death. So mm. so James Ivory was the director and he worked with his producer, Ismail Merchant, and they had um, the Ivory Merchant Production Company. And um, they were not only business partners, but they were life partners and they lived f- together f- for 40 years, from, from 1965 to 2005. That's exactly 40. Yeah. We're not very good at maths here at Required Reading. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I think, and so they worked together on lots of things. They worked on A Room with a View together and Howard's End as well together. And obviously James Ivory had to work by himself on on Call Me By Your Name. And I Mm. think that's that's why quite a lot of, I don't know, the the love in in the dialogue, especially in Call Me By Your Name, does emphasize and does feel real because it's like it is... Even though the actors aren't openly gay in the movie, Call the, Me By Your Name. The original author, the actors, or the director are all straight. But at the least screenwriter the screen is. The screenwriter. Yeah. And you know what? That's hey, a, that's, that's a win in my book. Yeah. Um, um, some of the that I found really interesting about learning from Maurice, mm. um, or learning about Maurice, is that there is a sort of, there's this whole world of lost queer literature. Mm out there. Yeah. I mean, there was Maurice that wasn't released until 40 mm-hmm. years after it was originally written, but there's also an even older novel mm-hmm. written in the like at the end of the 1800s called Ernesto by an Italian novelist called Umberto Saba, and that book chronicles is the only novel that that mm-hmm. person ever wrote, and it is about him falling in love with his violin teacher. Who's a man? I would fall in love with a violin um, teacher. Oh, same. Sexy instrument. Well, cello is sexier, isn't it? I'm gonna go string instruments. I don't know where I just, I'm going. I'm just, <laughs> I don't know. I just violin. I would prefer like like an oboe. What? <laughs> a duck. A duck instrument. You can't tell me that an oboe does not sound like a duck. A sexy duck. Oh my god, <laughs> Donald Duck. <laughs> Charlie's coming your way. <laughs> yeah. But like, I just think that there's this, there is this whole mm. world, and I think that it also emphasizes this idea of what we determine to be a classic. Yeah. And who is telling what mm-hmm. stories, mm. and it emphasizes the fact that actually queer people have existed forever, and they're always going to, and there's not <sighs> yep. more now. No, it's just people are living more authentically now. Yep. Yeah, and um, I, I think that the kind of like decimation of gay literature is definitely not new either there's a lot of sweeping things under the rug like a lot of emily dickinson's letters and poems were burned up because she was pretty much a lesbian pretty much (laughs) well i can't i don't want to infer somebody's sexuality from the future with the labels that we understand now but it's fun (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i think if you want to look for if you want to try a new gay classic maurice is the way to go yeah. We that's what we're recommending here at required reading. You could say it's required reading. reading. <laughs> um okay, so I feel like that really ties up yeah. the books, movie and song that we wanted to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Um so that leads us to And now for the part of the show where Charlie and Amy literally judge a book by its cover. That's right. It's uh judge a book by its cover time, which means that we Judge a book by, by its, its cover. cover. Uh, so today, 
Uh, my choice. I went to University Bookshop, and I found this cover, and it's... Amy, what, what, what are we looking at right now? So, we have... It's, I, it's a matte dust cover. Yes. So, it's a hard book cover with a matte cover, which I love. Love it. But that, those kind of matte ones do get a bit greasy. You know, like... Yeah, I know. That's not the point. So, it's black, and there's... Um, at, coming from the bottom, there's a fiery dragon rising in the kind of the shape of a flame and it's pretty cool yeah i like it and so there's really only the colors black and then the red orange and yellow of the dragon and then above that we just have the words the word burn which is the name of the book and kind of within the dragon it says patrick ness twice carnegie medal winner and the word Ness is huge. It is huge. Humongous. That is the main word. Um, the back of the book, very short and sweet. The little blurb just says, how does the world end? It ends in fire. Mm-hmm. And then enticing. John Green has some beautiful words to say where he says, Patrick Ness is an insanely beautiful writer. Concise, John Green. Thank you. Love you, man. Um so, Firstly, I love Patrick Ness. I love his, Patrick Ness. His books are like my favorite when I was sort of nearing the end of, like, going into teenagehood. Really going into? Which yeah. books? Which one? Which ones? The Life of Never Letting Go. Oh, yeah. And I can't remember the other books, but there's, a, I didn't, there's other ones. Because <laughs> I didn't, I actually never got around to reading The Life of Never Letting Go, but I read his older stuff when I was about 17. Like, there was... um. There was this one where there was um, a weird spirit that came out of the lake, and I don't really remember anything. There's but it the, was pretty creepy. <laughs> there's the a monster calls. Monster calls. It wasn't that. It was like, it was where the kind of realm between two worlds um, had kind of like come down, and there was this deer spirit, and there was there was a young gay couple, and there was oh on trend. On trend. <laughs> exactly. And Bring then there back. was another one, which was The Rest of Us Just Live Here. I loved that. That was about... Oh, I like, I like that too. That was about everybody had superpowers, but some people don't. Yeah. <laughs> and they just have to live in the in the world. Yeah. He's, he's, I thought that was a beautiful book. So he's a great author, and I'm sure this is a fantastic book. Um, as far as title goes, simple but effective. I love the typeface of Burn. I think it's beautiful. It's kind of a is it a is it a serif or is it a sand serif? What's the one with the overhanging? Is that I don't know. It's kind of like Times New Roman, is it? Yeah, yeah. You name me a know. lot of different <laughs> ones. Yeah. No, serif is a type. Serif is a type. Times New Roman is a is a font. Font. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so what do you what do you what do you what do you think? I'm going to give it like I don't know a seven out of ten. A seven. I think it's good. I don't think it's amazing. I'm going to give it a six because okay. I think it's good. I think it's it's to the point. I would like even less on it. Oh, I would like Patrick Ness to be even smaller. I would like. But Patrick Ness is what's selling it. So true. Like, that's why I added the extra point. But I can. But I'm taking two points off because I can already see the the, the dust cover getting greasy. I can already see a greasy fingertips on it. Oh. Um. And also, I don't know. I'm. I'm tired. I don't. <laughs> I'm just not really sparking anything. Ironically, yeah. not sparking any any fire within me. Because fire. Because yeah. fire. Thanks, Patrick. So Mace. that kind of concludes this episode. Uh, thank you for listening. Go follow us on Instagram at Required Reading. Next time we're talking about two of Jane Austen's simply greatest novels. Yeah. We're talking about Emma. And Northanger Abbey. Oh my god. It is going to be one doozy of an I episode. I cannot seriously. wait. And once again, thank you so much to University Bookshop mm-hmm. for sponsoring this episode. You can check them out at www.unibooks.co.nz or check them out in store in person on Great King Street. That was a Radio 191 FM podcast. Find more at r1.co.nz.